Thank you, Jessica. All right. And can we have the Chromecast? We got Chromecast up, guys, in the back. Jefferson. I love seeing Jefferson run tech in the back there. We'll get him coming up. Thank you, Jefferson. All right. I feel like Jefferson's been growing in so many things over this past year. And if you ever get a chance to listen to Jefferson sing, so during worship, try to position yourself next to Jefferson. He's got an, am he's got an amazing, amazing voice. He's never been trained. We keep on telling him, Jefferson, you got to sign up for a choir uh, in high school because he's got an amazing voice. So Jefferson, do it. All right. So praise the Lord, brothers and sisters. We gathered again here on this Sunday morning to continue to talk about the life of David. And so over the past month or so, we've been in this series studying the life of David. We've got ourselves to 1 Samuel chapter 18 today, and today we'll be in talk about um, how David walked in confidence in the Lord. Okay. And just as a quick recap, um, over the past couple of weeks, our life of David study, where we started, so we started with the whole idea of why even study David, why study his life, and because David, there's more mentioned about David than anybody else in the Old Testament, right? So David is the primary character, more chapters devoted to him than anybody else in the Bible other than Jesus. So it's a very important figure, we should get to know him, right? And there's a reason, there's no mistake for that, because God put that story in there at the length that he did, because David foreshadows Jesus, right? And David is this model that God wants us to emulate and helps us to understand um, the, the heart, of, uh, heart of the Father, because David himself was a man after God's own heart. All right, so very important for us to study the life of David. Becca talked about um, the different seasons of David's life, kind of an overview of where we're going. And just to kind of reorient us to the map of David's life, there's kind of five cities that represent five different seasons in David's life. Over the past couple of weeks, he talked a little bit about that Bethlehem season. Bethlehem is, is that small little town. We all know the Christmas song, oh, little town of Bethlehem, right? Okay, so it's a little town, right? And David has very little that other people would see in him during that season. He's just a small shepherd boy. His own family looks down on him. They don't even invite him to the parties. I mean, who, who doesn't get invited to the, like the, the family reunion get-together parties, right? His, his own family is like, ah, David doesn't even need to be there, right? So there's just that, that Bethlehem season. All right, and then this week, we're actually moving to that Gibeah season. So we're going to talk about Gibeah. Gibeah is his season of success. All right. um, we talked about God seeing the heart. So David's anointing was a response to people wanting a king. The, the Israelites wanted a king, and God gave them what they wanted, even though it was wrong. It wasn't wrong to want a king, but the type of king that they wanted, God gave it to them. He gave them Saul, tallest guy in the country, super great warrior, they said he was the most beautiful person in the land. I mean, he's like, who was, he was getting jealous hearing some of that stuff, right? It's like, oh my gosh, the people wanted him. God gave it to him. God gave him to them, and he was a disaster. David gets anointed because God tells Samuel, "Don't look on the outside." Even Samuel, who's the the, the chief judge, God tells him, "Hey, don't look on the outside. I see the inside." How important that is as a rule for us to live by as well is that God looks uh, God looks at the inside, even though we look at the outside. Don't be deceived. All right, God's looking for the heart. And that's true for everything, right? Everything. Um, and the last week, my sister talked about faithfulness uh, in the small, so which is the, actually the theme of the story of Goliath, surprisingly, right? So my sister showed how, even though we all know the story, that's probably the most, like, one of the most famous stories in the Old Testament, the David and Goliath story. Even non-believers know that story, right? And they're like, ooh, that's the story of how I can, you know, overcome the, 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 
Goliaths in my life. I can overcome all the difficulties. And yes, there's an element to that, but truly the essence of the story is uh, how to be faithful in the small things, right? And so even David, after defeating the main enemy of Israel, he wants to go home, right? He wants to go home and be faithful in the small things, uh, the small shepherd boy, his responsibilities at home, all right? Today, we're going to talk about in this next chapter. So that's chapter 17. He defeats Goliath. And now he's the hero of Israel. And now we're going to talk about what happens when David becomes that hero. All right, now, instead of being that small little shepherd boy out in the field that nobody thinks about, all of a sudden he's the most famous person in the land. And how does he handle that success? Right? How does he handle that success? Moving from that small position uh, where he's, he's not unknown to becoming the hero where he gets praise but he also get, and gets praise and promotion, but he also gets criticism and he also gets demotion. All right, he also gets demoted. How does he respond in that big up and down? So I'm going to have our favorite Bible reader stand up and read for us. we got Isaac to read the passage. Would you stand up and read for us 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 16. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and bow in his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now it had happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry and the saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand, as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him his captain over a thousand. And he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. Amen. So this is our passage for today. And this is the start of that Gibeah season that we talked about. Again, the Bethlehem season is past and David's being ushered into this Gibeah season despite his protest, right? He wants to go home. I mean, how many of us would respond that way to all of a sudden you're like, you're the most famous person and you're like, I don't want the spotlight. I mean, that's so like contrary to what, uh, what the culture teaches us, right? Um, but David is, is being brought into this Gibeah season, and a lot of people in the Western world, we would want that Gibeah season, right? Like, how many people are probably like, man, the successful season, like, be excited to enter into that, and David actually 
uh, keeps his heart well. And so that's what we're going to, to, to look at today. But I want us to think about as we're reading the story and diving into it, how would we respond? Right? What is our heart response to success? And what is our heart desire for success versus how did David respond to it? All right. I love this quote from Mike Bigley. He says, you will respond to praise the same way that you respond to criticism. It's like a spiritual principle. If criticism throws you off, you're valuing the opinion of man too much. And praise will also throw you off. Uh, usually we get a lot of criticism before we get praise in our lives. Um, and so we think, oh man, if I can just get past this season of criticism, I'll enter into that season of praise and I'll be fine with it. Or, or my heart will be okay. But really there's this principle of the way that we respond to criticism will be the same the way that we respond to praise. All right? And God knows that if you get defensive and offended by criticism, it means we're leave, living by the opinion of man. That doesn't change when we get praise. All right? It doesn't change. All right? So there are two sides of that, that same coin. Um, and it doesn't mean that we get to a place where we're completely immune from criticism or completely immune from praise. But the important part is, again, the heart is the primary voice that we're worried about, the voice of God or the voice of man. All right? And David responds by knowing the voice of God because he was faithful in those small things. But again, it's, that's counterintuitive to the culture, not even just the secular culture. It's counterintuitive to, to, to the Christian culture as well. All right. Uh, who, who's read this book before? Just raise your hands. You can confess. Who, who's read this book before? The Prayer of Jabez. Okay. All right, so the, for those of you who are younger and don't know this book, all right, this was the most popular selling book in 2001, okay? It came out and took the world by storm, all right? It's called The Prayer of Jabez, and some of you may not even be familiar with The Prayer of Jabez. That's because it's just one verse, all right? It's just one verse in the Bible. It's in First Chronicles chapter 4, and Jabez prays this prayer, and he prays, God, exp expand my, my territory, expand my, uh, uh, you know, expand me, all right? So it's kind of the success prayer, that yeah, uh, that, one little, that one little verse exploded, okay? So this Prayer Jabez book, uh, you guys can look it up. And I'm not saying, like, you can't read it, and I'm not saying it's not a prayer. I mean, here at FHL, we love praying the prayers of the Bible, okay? We love praying the prayers of the Bible. There wasn't a multi-million, you know, multi-million selling book on Ephesians 117, Spirit of Wisdom, Revelation. There is on this verse, <laughs> because it's about expanding our territory. And people are like, Yes, that is the prayer of my heart. Yes, Lord. The prayer of Jabez. Let me tell you about the prayer of Jabez, okay? The prayer of Jabez, immediate bestseller, okay? And according to some sources I saw, it became the fastest selling book, all right, to 2 million copies. In 2001, comes out, immediately sells 2 million copies. Fastest selling book ever up to that point to reach 2 million copies uh, in, in that span of time. Immediate, boom, 2 million copies, all right? <clears throat> Awarded the Platinum Book Award. Whole industry of peripherals. We're not just talking about just this book, all right? It came out with uh, like, uh, like a whole spawn of different books, all right? So we got, here, here's how many, if you look up Prayer of Jabez on Amazon, you won't just get the Prayer of Jabez book. You get the Prayer of Jabez devotional. You get the Prayer of Jabez for teens. You get the Prayer of Jabez for kids. Uh, both of those were also platinum, platinum book award winning, okay? So they, they, they got up there. Prayer of Jabez for women. This is one verse, guys. This is one, one verse. <laughs> A sequel? Oh, there's a se <laughs> I didn't see the sequel either. And again, I'm not saying that this is a bad book to read, but I'm just saying, like, man, hitting that hard chord of, oh, success, please, more. All right, that, that's not the only book. Okay, so we got through Prayer Jabez for Kids, Teens, Prayer Jabez for Women, Prayer Jabez Bible Study. Um, okay, so 2008, this is just seven years after it came out, Prayer Jabez crossed the 10 million book threshold, received the Diamond Book Award, putting the rarest company. Only four other Christian books before or since have surpassed 10 million sold. Uh, one would hope. One would hope. One would hope. Okay. 
you know, I'm pretty sure one of them was uh, uh, Rich, Rick Warren's uh, book. But, you know, again, so that's putting it up in that echelon, in that rare air, okay? Yeah, Purpose Driven, uh, purpose -driven Life is, is up there too, okay? But again, this is a book about one verse, one prayer, one prayer in the Bible because it strikes that chord that's deep within all of us in our heart. That's like, God, give us our Gibeah season. Give me that success season. Give me that time where I'm recognized, right? And who, I mean, I'm saying that not as a condemnation, that that's in my own heart too, right? Like how many people that echoes in the depth of our humanity in our hearts to be like, man, I want that Gibeah season of recognition, okay? Uh, uh, yes, okay. Yeah, so thank you, Isaac. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, so how many people? I mean, when you you know, I saw an interview. Uh, they they did this survey of, of young people and uh, like what 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 is the what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, who, who remembers when you were kids? They asked that question, right? And it was like, you know, you want to be an astronaut? You want to be I don't know, like a lawyer? You want to be a doctor, dentist, whatever? You know what the the number one response was for these elementary school kids? What they wanted to be? They want to be influencers, right? They want to be an influencer. They want to be an influencer, okay? I'm not saying it's a condemnation of just that, that generation. I think it's just been exposed where before it was hidden, but it's in all of our hearts that we want to be, like, big, right? Like, even, you know, you want to have the million followers on Instagram. You want to have a big, and even within Christian ministry, I want to that mega church. I want to have, like, you know, big things, right? That's within all of our hearts. That's the susceptibility. That's that uh, thing that we have to identify in our hearts. Again, that question, how do we handle success? How do we handle it? All right. And oftentimes, it's actually um, God's grace, not his, his mercy not to give it to us. Right? It's his mercy not to give it to us. And in Luke chapter 16, there's a, there's a parable that Jesus tells, and we don't have time to read it, but it's the parable of the servants. And, and at the end of the story, Jesus says, like, the one who is faithful in the small things, that's what God is looking for. Faithful in the small things. One who is, in Luke chapter 16, verse 10, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in very much. And one who is dishonest in very little is also dishonest in much. Again, back to the principle that we learned in, in, uh, in David's anointing, God's looking at the heart. He's looking at the heart. He's not looking at the external qualifications. You're, you know, big, beautiful Saul, you get to have that, that, that Gibeah season. Now he's looking for the heart, okay? Because that Gibeah season can destroy us if our hearts are not in the right place, right? If we're not faithful in the little. And again, look at that verse again, Luke 16, when he was faithful in little, that perfectly describes David, right? He was faithful in those little things. In that Bethlehem season, he was faithful in his shepherd keeping. He was faithful in his family responsibilities. He was faithful to God. Right. God saw that and said, that's the one who I'm going to give uh, that success to because I know it won't destroy him. I know how his heart is going to respond because his concern is not the fear of man, but the fear of God first. Okay? So David, success and praise. All right? Versus Saul. 1 Samuel 13. We go back to that, that story of Saul where, where he actually gets the anointing. Uh, where he, uh, sorry, he gets the kingdom taken away from him because he is not faithful in those small things. That small little detail about destroying all the sheep and destroying all the, the, the valuable things out of Amalek. So I was like, ah, it's okay. I'm not going to do it. I won the big battle. I, I did okay. You know, God is pleased with me. And Samuel says, man, you were not faithful to the T for that small thing. The kingdom is going to get taken away from you. Saul so says, you've done foolishly. You've not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not continue. And Saul goes on to say, and he confesses to Samuel, he's like, it's because I feared man. It's because I feared man. All right. He gets straight to the truth of it. All right. Um, <clears throat> so again, with, uh, with great power comes great responsibility. It's the, that's not a Bible verse. It's, a, it's the Spider-Man thing. Okay. All right. <laughs> but, but, but there's a, stru a true principle with that. All right. 
um, is that we want that great we want that great uh, we want that great power, but it actually is not all as David uh, exemplifies in this chapter that we're reading in chapter 18. We think, oh man, that Gibeah season is going to be all awesomeness. Saul tries to kill him twice, right? And he gets demoted. So with those, those big, that big position, there's a lot of things that come with it, right? A lot of com- things come with it, and it's not all grass is greener on the other side. Uh, we were just at this House of Prayer conference um, over the weekend in Dallas, and uh, one of the leaders said something astounding to me. He was like, he was recommending this book. and He's like, it is the best book I've ever read second to the Bible, all right? He was recommending this book is awesome. It, it wasn't The Prayer of Jabez, okay, but it was, a, it was a different book. All right, I haven't read it yet, so I can't, I won't want to say that I recommend it, but I'm, I'm excited to read it and I order it. So I was looking online to, to order it, and, uh, and, you know, it's this pastor that wrote this book, and it looks really good, a lot of really good recommendations, um, and, uh, and it's a, like a bestseller, and it looks like it should be really good. But if you Google him, you Google that book, right before that, like right after that Amazon link, just a couple links down, is like a news article about like all the, all the like the, you know, dirty laundry in the church and stuff like that. Just all, like he, there's a lawsuit against him. And looking into it, like it's just, it's not like an immoral, like immorality or like a failure or something. It's just like, you know, it's like typical drama. Like there was like a, a firing and things like that at his church. It doesn't sound like a bad thing, but it's just like all this stuff and the, the person all of a sudden just gets exposed, right? Exposed. Because of that, th- that elevation where his, you know, that book that he wrote, like got really popular. All of a sudden he's got all these like Christianity Today and all these news people like, at his church, like, trying to dig up dirt and, like, looking for all the things inside of his life, the small details. It's like, wow. You know, like, we would say, oh, man, it'd be awesome to have this best-selling book, but with that came all this scrutiny, all this scrutiny, right? So, again, and I I don't know this guy, obviously, I don't know this pastor or whatever, but I would have that same question. It's like, man, like, you've been elevated in this Gibeah season. How is your heart responding, you know? And I hope it's well, you know? I hope it's well. But, again, we should have that same sobriety when we're looking at um, things in our life, whether that's success or Gibeah seasons in our work or in our ministry or in our personal lives, again, keeping in mind that what I encourage us to keep in mind, how are we responding? How do we handle success? What is our heart posture before the Lord? Okay, And using David as our example. And, you know, using David as our example, in the story of David, he's always got this seminary of Saul to provide the counterexample, right? So the seminary of Saul, bad example. Um, so... The, the story of chapter 17 ended with this military victory, right? And David, we see how he responds now with success. But let's look back on, on some other examples of military, uh, military success. So 1 Samuel chapter 7, um, Samuel actually has military success. Before there's even a king, Samuel actually helps defeat the Philistines. And, uh, you know, we sang uh, Come Thou Fount. You know, anybody, you know when we sing Come Thou Fount? Ebenezer. We, we sing that Ebenezer. What, what, does anybody know what Ebenezer means? That doesn't mean forsaken. <laughs> Thank you, Isaac. <laughs> That's a song. Yes, yeah, so we sing that Ebenezer all the time. Are you pulling up Come Down Fount for us, Isaac? You pulling up Come Down Fount for us? <laughs> That's okay. But Ebenezer, so we sing it, right? But it actually means like the rock of God's help, okay? So... Thank you, I'm sure. <laughs> well, thank you, Isaac. So, yeah, so the rock of God's help, all right? So Samuel, when he has this military victory, he actually establishes this rock. He calls it Ebenezer, and from then on, everything is about Ebenezer. But it basically means you look, can look at the end of the passage here, uh, called his name Ebenezer, saying, thus far the Lord has helped us, and it's the rock of God's help. Ebenezer is the rock of God's help, okay? So that's Samuel's response to military victory. Saul's response to military victory is in 1 Samuel chapter 15, Saul sets up a monument to himself, okay? So he's got this military victory, 
And Saul, instead of setting up an Ebenezer, like the rock of God's help, he sets up a monument to himself. Okay, 1 Samuel 15, all right. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. This is after that same example we talked about with the Malachites, where he doesn't follow God's word to the T. He still leaves the, the sheep and stuff. He, like, still keeps the valuables. And he's like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice it to the Lord eventually. But um, he doesn't follow the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Samuel and said, I greatly regret that I've set up Saul as my king, for he has turned back from following me and has not followed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. And he cried out to the Lord all night. And then when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told to Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Okay. I mean, again, like Saul has this military victory. What is, what is his heart response? He sets up a monument to himself. And then he knows that he did something wrong. He actually, like, he actually, like, skirts around Samuel. So, like, go, like, so, like, the area of battle's here, all right? And then Samuel's right here, and then Saul needs to get here. And, and Saul, and Samuel says, he's like, he's up all night, like, mourning over, like, uh, what God has told him about Saul. And he wakes up in the morning expecting to greet, greet, greet Saul. Saul's like, do-do-do-do-do, goes around, all right? He, like, knows, like, what he's, he goes around, circles around. And how many of us do that when we know we did something wrong, right? It's like the guy sneaking, like, you sneak home late at night, and your parents, you know, the room over here, you use the back door over here. That's Saul again, okay? Because his heart was for his own glory and the praise of man, all right? And he didn't want to hear the voice of, of Samuel, the voice of the Lord, all right? Because he didn't want, his more concern was about the fear of man. And that was his response to success. And we can look at David's now and see, man, David's heart of uh, responding to military success was that he still wanted to just be faithful in those small things, his small responsibilities, all right? He didn't let it get to his head, Okay. Uh, and Gibeah here, so he enters in. So despite him not wanting it, Saul won't let him go home, as my, my sister talked about last week. All right, he, he pulls him into the royal city, and he's in the royal palace. And as we read, in, and as Isaac read for us in the passage, Saul actually makes him the commander of all the armies. All right, so now he's like the head of the armies. He's at the royal palace. He's playing music for the king. Um, and in this success story, uh, now he's in this Gibeah season, he has to interact with the royal family, okay? And so this whole chapter, there's actually three sections to it, and it's basically David's interactions with the royal family. So imagine us, like, all of a sudden, you, you've hit the success, and now you're, like, hanging out with the king of England and his sons and his daughters, and how, do, how would we respond in our heart to those things? All right. So let's take a look, all right? And we can actually also learn from not only David's heart response, but we can actually look at their hearts as well. Again, as we've just paralleled Saul with David, Let's look at how Jonathan's heart responds to, to David. All right. So David, in this third season, in this season, it starts off with Jonathan's friendship. All right. So Jonathan is the prince. Jonathan is supposed to stand in the line of succession for kingship. All right. But then what happens? So David all of a sudden becomes this military victory, and everybody can see. The passage says everybody can see that David is anointed. All right. David has, has grace. The Lord is with him. And we looked at Saul's response a little bit, and we're going to look at it more. But how does Jonathan respond to him? Jonathan, the, the, the passage says Jonathan loved him as his own soul, right? I mean, this is like one of the, 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 the most intimate and crazy uh, passages about the love of somebody. And it's not this like romantic sexual love and, and, you know, people sometimes try to twist it in that way. This is about the love of Jesus, all right? It's not the same phrasing, actually, the same phrasing. If you look at how Jesus commands us in the greatest commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, this is the same parallel. Jonathan looked at David, and he loved him as himself, loved him as himself, even despite the, that David's success would mean his own, uh, in the eyes of the world, failure, right? It would mean his own sacrifice. 
it's, but it's just uh, God calls us to do the same thing. When we see somebody else's anointing and success, does our heart respond with jealousy like Saul? Does it respond with fear? Or does our response, just like Jonathan, our heart response that we're called to is just like John the Baptist, to be a friend of the bridegroom and say, you must increase, I must decrease, right? If the other blessing and ministry is glorifying to God, can we be like Jonathan and say, bless that, like bless that? That's a hard thing for, I think, a lot of us in ministry is to look at others and say, man, God is blessing that. God is blessing that. Man, it'd be cool if, like, that was ours too. But as long as his kingdom come, as long as the bridegroom is glorified, you know, bless that, Lord. Bless that, Lord. Bless that, Lord. And that's Jonathan's response. And I'm always just so challenged by Jonathan's response because by all rights, he should be the one to become king, right? He's the, the next in line. But he sees the anointing of God on David. He sees that David's heart is primarily after God. He says, I'm going to bless that because the Lord is on it, even if it means costing me what, what, is, what I think is rightfully my own. All right. So not jealousy, not fear, not suspicion. Jonathan actually makes a covenant with David. It's a huge thing, you know, in that passage that we read, it's easy to, to just uh, glib over, but Jonathan actually gives him his robe, right? He gives him his robe. It's just like the, uh, the parable of the son, right? The prodigal son, when he comes back, the, the father gives him a robe. That represents giving him that position, right? Giving him that princely robe, that princely position. Jonathan is actually giving him, uh, endorsing David with giving him that, that princely robe. And then also he gives him his armor. He says, I'm putting my military power, all my abilities behind what, what you're doing because I see the hand of God on it, all right? How beautiful that is that Jonathan can respond in that way. And I'm challenged to do that myself, again, like we said. You know, if I see, uh, the, when we see the, the blessing of the Lord on something that he's doing uh, that glorifies his kingdom, can we say without jealousy, bless that, you know, bless that, bless that. <clears throat> so Jonathan committed to supporting David, even though, for Jonathan, David should have been his natural rival. And because he, did, he recognized the anointing, um, he recognized the anointing that David had. All right. So that's David and Jonathan. And now we're moving back to David and Saul. And Saul did not respond that way, right? Did not respond that way. Saul responded with jealousy. You know, Saul hears that song, and as we read that song, I mean, you can, you, you can just feel, like, through that passage, Saul's jealousy, right? David has killed, uh, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, right? And you can immediately just kind of get that, that jealous feeling. We, some of us have been to, uh, there's uh, this place called Sight and Sound out in Pennsylvania. If you ever get the chance to go to it, they do these musicals um, based on, on Bible stories, and there's one on David. Um, and this one's great. They've got, like, uh, the, for this part of the section, they've got all these girls coming out and singing like, the songs, like, Saul has slain his thousand, David his ten thousand. I mean, they emphasize the ten, right? They emphasize the ten. You know, like it's a huge, it's a huge thing. And Saul's heart response is some is the heart response that we all of us have deep within us is that that jealousy too, right? That jealousy is like, man, that's that should be me. That should be me. That should be my position. All right. Um, so Saul responds uh, with jealousy, and, and look at the descriptions even in the passage about Saul. He was very angry, jealous. Saul eyed David. He says, what more could he have but the kingdom? All right. He's jealous about all these different things all right, because his heart posture is fear. Right? His heart posture is fear, fear of man, fear of losing his kingdom, all right, not fear of the Lord. Right? Um, and you know, he knows that Samuel has already prophesied to him that God is giving his kingdom to one whose heart is after the Lord. So Saul's on the lookout for it. Instead of actually turning his heart in a posture of submission to the Lord, he's actually afraid, and he's actually uh, jealous, and he's actually looking for that person. Who's it going to be? Who's it going to be? And even though he doesn't know that David's been anointed by Samuel, he can see the anointing, the results of that anointing in David. Right? David has success everywhere he goes. 
And so, you know, it's kind of like your boss, right? If your boss, has anybody ever been mistreated by a boss? Or felt like, kind of felt mistreated by, <laughs> Steve's like, oh, <laughs> Steve's like, Steve's like unjustifiably mistreated, right? Like looking at this David story, David hasn't done anything to deserve mistreatment from Saul, right? He's like fought his battles. He's like won uh, military victories. But in spite of all that, Saul wants to kill him and tries twice, right? And I, I love that, uh, or I find that so interesting that Saul tr tried twice, it, just kind of thinking about it. It's like, if your boss tried to kill you, would you go back to work the next day? <laughs> I, I wouldn't, right? I would, but clearly David did, right? Because Saul got to try twice, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> HR should have been called right away. But David goes back, he gets thrown at a second time. It's like, I mean, who gets, who's challenged about faithful in the small things? Is somebody like your boss is, not only you're mistreated by your boss, you tried to kill him, all right? You tried to kill him, all right? But, and so, but David didn't demand, right, his own rights. He turned the other cheek. He turned the other cheek, all right? <clears throat> so, you know, again, Saul is like uh, demonized, um, and he's oppressed by demonic spirit, and so resulting in violence, he tries to kill David. He tries to kill David twice. And David, this is, uh, you know, this is a few years uh, now in the making. Like, he's already the commander of the chiefs. He's no longer that small little, uh, small little shepherd boy with just a, a sling and stone. He's the best warrior in all of Israel. And who, if you were the best, is like, warrior in Israel, like, you're, like, the man, you're in charge of the armies, somebody else throws a spear at you, how, how are you responding? Uh, I, I, I'm not just picking up my harp and, and walking out. I, I'm taking that spear and throwing it back, right? But David responds in a heart of humility, even though he knows that he is, like, he's the commander of all the armies, he's the, the hero of Israel, he's the anointed of God. He doesn't take it into his own hands. The, thing, the very thing that Saul feared, which is that David would take over his kingdom, David, until the very day that Saul dies, never once lifts his hand to try to make happen um, that was what was promised, all right? He never does it. Saul's number one fear that David's gonna stage a coup David never does it. Even when it's the easiest thing, he could easily do it and well within his rights to do it. David never does it. All right, David, David never does it. Because, like, truth is, David loves Saul. Right? How amazing that is. Like, David loves Saul. When, David, when Saul dies, uh, David mourns for him. David mourns for him. And we'll get to the story later, but it's like a heartbreaking story. Like, David actually kills the guy who, who comes to tell him that Saul's dead because that guy thinks that he's doing, a, doing David a service. He's, like, David loves Saul, despite all these different things that Saul does against him, even on unfairness, right? So this Gibeah season, this season of success, where David should be the celebrated person, and Saul's starting to take that away from him. He's trying to kill him. He demotes him. David still loves Saul and recognizes um, that uh, his uh, position of authority as the, the anointed, yeah, that he was anointed. He turns the other cheek, all right? So again, Saul demotes him. So he tries to kill him doesn't work, you know, because David's like, you know, a pretty athletic guy. He avoids the, the spear twice, all right? Um, so Saul's like, all right, you know, um, yeah, and, and again, Saul's demonized, and he's like got these mood swings, and it's crazy, right? But he's, he just takes him out of the palace, right? So no longer, David's no longer in the palace. He demotes him from being commander of all the armies, and now he's uh, commander of just a thousand, okay? So he's not commander over the whole armies anymore. He kind of demotes him. And he hopes that, okay, hopefully, now that David's demoted and stuff, people aren't going to recognize him. But the passage says that David is faithful in all these things. And he comes out and goes before all the people. That means that, like, he was just open with all the people uh, in all his activities. And so he had favor with the people because the people could see that he's still faithful. Even when he got demoted to just commander of the thousands, still faithful in all these things because the Lord was with him. All right? So he remained faithful to all these different assignments, even when it was unfair. Even when it was unfair and being treated poorly. He didn't complain. There's no record of him complaining. There's no record of him demanding his rights. 
He's still faithful in those things. And the people saw it. The people saw that the Lord was with him. And that's even more important thing, right? That faithfulness in those small things became a witness, became a witness to the Lord being with him. All right. Again, when we respond to those same things in our lives, man, we're mistreated by our boss. We get demoted unfairly. You know, uh, somebody tries to kill us. I, hopefully that's not happening in your life. But if you're responding to those things with, all right, I don't want to demand my rights versus how David responded, David's response is a witness, right? And that's what we're called to do. That same Jesus response of turning the cheek, of turning our cheek, all right, um, becomes the witness before the people. Right? <clears throat> so again, David's removed from the palace, all right, um, but the Lord is with him. But the Lord is with him. And it's not an easy thing to do, right, to turn the other cheek in those circumstances. But if our heart is oriented first on the voice of the Lord, we can be confident that the Lord is with us, even when we're not at the top of that Gibeah season, even when we've lost it or been de demoted, or even when people treat us unfairly, if our, our hearts are oriented primarily on the voice of God, we can be confident that he's with us, even when it's just being, instead of being commander of all the armies, being commander of just a little thousand. All right, so faithful again in those small things because our heart is oriented on the Lord. All right, and it says all Israel and Judah loved David because of it. All right, and David continued to have success in all those small things. The la last part of this passage here um, deals with, with McCall. And actually, Isaac, can you read the final part of chapter 18 for us? And we'll just uh, we'll, we'll bring it all to a close with this one. Here, Isaac. All right. So then, all right. Hey. <laughs> all right. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Merib. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at the time when Merab, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Meholathite, as a wife. Now Michal, Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? The servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner, David spoke. Then Saul said, Thus you shall say to David, The king does not desire any dowry but one hundred foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men and killed 200 men of the Philistines and David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michal, his daughter, as a wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. 
and Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was whenever they went out that that David behaved more wisely than all of the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. Thank you, Isaac. So yeah, so this is the last half of this, of this story. Again, this royal family story. David's interactions with Jonathan, David's interactions with Saul, and now David, the hand of marriage to, to the princess. All right? And it's been promised to him. Again, we're in this Gibeah season. It seems like everything should be coming together for, for David, right? He's like a success and hero. But there's still, it's not all roses, right? It's not all, all good things. You know, in the last chapter, whoever kills Goliath, what is promised to him? Let me look back. All right, so this promise that he, whoever kills Goliath, should be the, the man who kills him will be rich. The king will give him his daughter, and his family is tax-free, okay? Now we get to chapter 18, and this is Gibeah season, and, and, and David's entering into this high calling, but he's still single, all right? He's still poor, all right? David says, I'm a poor man, all right? And it's not explicitly stated, but I'm assuming that Saul did not give Jesse a tax break, okay? <laughs> All right, so all these different things that are rightfully should be his, all right, so he's ascended to the top here, and all these things should rightfully be his, none of them have come true. And in fact, not only have they not come true, Saul's actually, like, using them against him. All right, so in this passage, Saul promises David the, the hand of the eldest daughter, all right, but then when the day comes, takes it away, gives it to somebody else, all right. And all the nation knows about it is this like public humiliation, all right? So it's like, so Saul's tried already directly to harm him, and now he's using like kind of passive aggressive like side things to try to harm him, all right? So in all this, in all these different ways that at David in this season of Gibeah should be getting like all the praise and anointing, there's these difficult uh, responses. David's heart is still humility. And we take a look at his response. David says to Saul, Who am I? What is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son in law to the king? Again, it was promised to him. That was the promise. Kill Goliath, you get all these things. Saul takes it all away, and David says, who am I? Who am I? Right? And would that be our heart response to difficult situations or, or, or unfairness in our work life or personal life or ministry? Is our heart response also, who am I? You know, I love this psalm, and we've been talking about reading the psalms alongside with the, the stories of David. Um, this is Psalm chapter 8, all right, and just a couple of verses of it. But this is David, uh, and that same idea of who am I. When I consider the heavens, the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? You have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Who am I? All right, who am I? David can look at the stars and say, you know, despite me not getting the, the hand of the, the princess, despite me not getting tons of wealth, despite my family not getting, you know, special favor as everything that was promised, I'm still going to say, who am I? You know, even if Saul takes that all the way from me, who am I? Because again, his heart is centered on the voice of the Lord, centered on what God says about him, all right? And the Lord is with him as a response. This, uh, God actually uses Saul's arrogance kind of against him. Saul's like still trying to kill David, all right? And, and so Saul's like, okay, wait, I can use this opportunity to kill him. So Saul tells David basically, okay, you can still marry a daughter. Not my eldest daughter, it's gonna be my youngest daughter, but you can do it if you cut off 104 skins of the Philistines, all right? So the, so, not, so he takes away the, what was rightfully promised to him, but instead he kind of dangles this other thing where he's like, okay, you know, I'm still going to do it, but, uh, you know, you got to do this thing. And Saul's hope is that David goes out and gets killed, all right? But he's like, 104 skins. 
as a urologist, I'm like, oh, that's kind of an interesting like a requirement, 100 foreskins. I, that's a, not only does he have to kill them, he's got to cut the foreskins. That's probably a lot too much for everybody here. But he's got, still got to cut the foreskins. All right, 100 foreskins. All right, the court. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's probably wise. All right. So, um, and because David's poor, so to marry into the, to the royal family, any marriage at that time, you had to provide a dowry, right? And again, you know, David's not wealthy. He's just a, he's a shepherd boy. His family's not wealthy. They're in a small town. Saul didn't give them a lot of money for killing Goliath. You know, again, all these broken promises. And he's still requiring a dowry. And David has nothing to pay that with. But Saul's like, you can pay it with 100 foreskins. Um, I, you know, I think about in our own jobs, like how often, like, if there's something that we like, feel like, oh, man, we worked hard and earned to do, um, and then your boss is like, well, you know, that promotion I promised you, nope, you know, you don't, you don't get it. And then later on, it's like, okay, well, I'll promote you, but, you know, you have to do, you know, this X amount of things, like X amount of TPS reports or something like that, all right? And it's like, how many of us in doing those, doing those things would be like doing them half-heartedly? I know I probably would be. It's like, and, uh, you, you know, you were supposed to make, like, chief resident. Well, you know, I told you that you were going to make chief resident, but actually, you know, giving it to somebody else. Okay, you could still make it, but, you know, you have to do, like, 100 of these cases, surgical cases. I would be really, really, like, bitter in my heart about doing them. What's David's response, though? Not only does he do them, he does them well, and he does double the amount. He doesn't cut off just 100 Philistine foreskins. He's like, I'm going the extra mile. I'm cutting off 200 Philistine foreskins, all right? So he does it with excellence and above and beyond, even though he shouldn't even be having to do it in the first place, right? Because by his right, he should have been married to the eldest daughter, all right? But he does it with joy, and he does it well, and he does it in excess, because, again, it's David's heart. It's David's heart. It's the example that God wants us to follow um, in it. Um, you know, I, I want us to, to read Matthew chapter, I'm just going to read it here, but Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 38. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, 38, this is Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person. For whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. Okay. As Sermon on the Mount, Jesus telling us that to walk in the same way. This is the way that David walked. Right. This is the way that David walked. This whole chapter is David getting slapped. David gets slapped over and over again. All right, slapped. And over and over again, David turns the other cheek. David turns the other cheek. Well, whoever asks you to go one mile, go with him too. Saul asked him to go the one mile. David went two. All right, David went two. All right. 100 foreskins, David does 200. All right. And again, like that is because of David's heart. He's confident. He's confident in the Lord. No matter the highs and lows, it didn't change his heart. It didn't change his heart. He's the same heart that he had as the little shepherd boy in Bethlehem. It's the same heart posture that he carries in the ups and downs of Gibeah when he's up at the highest positions of the kingdom, and when even if that's taken away from him, when he's treated uh, with praise, when he's treated with criticism, same heart as I have a heart before the Lord and saying, "God, I trust you, even when I'm being treated unfairly. I know that you're with me, so I can turn the other cheek. I know that you're with me, and your voice is most important. I can go that extra mile right, because I'm confident in your love." It, the the Gibeah season didn't puff him up. I want to read Psalm eight. Um, again, um, oh, sorry, Psalm 131. Let's turn to Psalm 131 if you got your Bibles with you. 
It's a very short psalm. This is going to be the psalm that we, we kind of close and meditate on. I don't know if we could have the worship team, if Jay, you can come back up. But this is, again, another psalm of David. And I want to encourage us all, you know, there's, there's a couple lists out there. But as we're reading and studying the, the, uh, the life of David, let's also study his songs. Because it's a beautiful piece of, uh, of David's legacy and his history. Um, and, and it helps us understand it better. This is Psalm 131, a song of ascents of David. In Psalm 131, David sings, Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. All right. It's that same, that same heart posture that he has. You know, who am I? Who am I? And his heart is not lift, my heart is not lifted up in the highs. I'm not haughty. I don't concern myself with things that are too great of a matter. You know, these great matters. Oh, being son of the king. David, David's response is, it's, it's a great matter to be the son of the king. Who am I to do it, right? And is that our heart response and our heart posture as well as we examine our own hearts? Can we be like David to turn the other cheek, to have confidence in the Lord? Just as this last verse, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. Whenever we're facing difficulties or unfairness or being mistreated, or even when we get that high position we wanted, but it's not all it's cracked up to be, can our hearts still respond with, Lord, my heart is not lifted up, and who am I? And even if it's taken away or if it's not as great as we thought it would be, our hope is still in the Lord. Our hope is still in the Lord. So let's just meditate on, on this, this passage, this, this Psalm 131, and also Psalm, Psalm 8, Psalm 131 and Psalm 8. Let's just take a few minutes to, to pray through that. So if you've got your Bibles in front of you, just open up to Psalm 8 and Psalm 131. I encourage you, you know, as a, as a, a praying church, as a house of prayer, um, we want to pray through the Bible. We want to pray the Bible. We want to pray the Word. All right? And the Psalms are the best and perfect place to do it. All right? So Psalm 8, Psalm 131, just take a few minutes. Just take a few minutes, read through it, sing it. Sing it. Even as, as we've got some music up here and the kind of music of background, I encourage you, just even if you're not a great singer, uh, sing through the psalms. Sing it. Because these psalms were written not just to be read. They were written to be sung. Okay? So I encourage you, just take a few minutes here. Sing through the psalms. Psalm 8, Psalm 131. All right. Sing through the psalms. You can just even hum it to yourself. Uh, I'm going to do the same up here. I'm going to sing, sing through it as well. And let that verse, let the message of it, what David is writing, hit our hearts that we would have hearts that are similar in our response. Psalm 131. We could do a little worship with the word. I'm going to read out of Psalm 8. We're just going to do a little worship with the word. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because you're enemies. You silence the enemy and the avenger. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent is your name. Excellent is your name. 
Your name alone, God, be lifted up. Out of the mouths of babies and toddlers, you establish power because of your enemies to silence the fall and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you established, what is man that you are mindful of him? Who am I? And the son of man that you care for him. We say, who am I? Would you give us hearts like David, that even the highs and the lows, even when we have no recognition, even when we have all the praise, can we say with David, who am I? That even when people are singing our praise, David's killed ten thousands. Can we be like David and say, no, it's the Lord. The Lord's name be lifted high. Who am I? Would you help us not to be haughty, yeah. to not have our eyes lifted up, that we could say with John the Baptist that you must increase and we must decrease. Would you remove the heart of Saul for us, the one that wants to see our success, the one that is jealous of others, would you remove that heart, God? Will we be like nursing infants and babes? Will we not concern ourselves with great matters and things too profound? Would we, like a weaned child, be calmed and quieted despite anything going on around us? We want to be like David. Help us to sing the Psalms. To say, who am I? Be confident in your love. To hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you guys stand with me? We'll end with a song. Um, can we actually do that last, uh, last song? Our, our rights and our freedoms. Um, every idol must fall. I love that song, that passage. Even when we are in the right, right? We are, it's the things that we des- feel like we deserve or rightly are owed. Um, I love that song, that all of our rights and freedoms, we can lay them down um, because we're confident in the Lord. So we'll use this song as our response. Um, our response worship is also our time of offering. If you have an offering to bring before the Lord, um, the offering box is in the front as well as options for electronic and online giving as well. Well, let's respond with this worship. Our rights 
rights and our freedoms, our flags and our kingdoms, as all of our idols my spouse. Our wars and our weapons, our worldly possessions, all of our idols my spouse. Our rights and our freedoms, our rights and our freedoms, our flags and our kingdoms, all of our idols my spouse. Our worldly possessions, all of our idols must bow. All of our idols, all of our idols must bow. And you have our yes, let our lives confess and say, Jesus is Lord. We just ask that you would search our hearts and know us and root out any wicked way in us and lead us in paths everlasting. 
God, that you would remove any selfish, um, just putting ourselves on the throne. God, we ask that you would be the center. Remove uh, celebrity Christianity. Remove the um, just the Hollywood American mentality from our minds, from our hearts. Root it out. Make us kingdom-minded, God, that we would clothe ourselves with your humility, that we would do all things for the Lord and not for man. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.